This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. So hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Lauren Forsythe. By day, Lauren is a content marketing manager, and I know what that is because I work in marketing too. Uh, finding ways to get writing into people's eagerly waiting eye holes. And by night, well, it's the same thing, but with more wine. Lauren writes books about strong women, men with pretty eyelashes, and friends <laughs> and friends that save your life. She joins me today to discuss your career and latest book, The Fixer Upper. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Lauren. Thank you so much. Really well, Lauren, excited. I'm excited to have you here because um, I'm curious about men with pretty eyelashes. <laughs> but uh, before I dig into that little nugget, um, I want to know, where does your story as an author begin? Um, I think um, really as a kid, I think it starts with lists, which I think is a is a funny place for writing to start maybe. But um I, I love writing lists um, and it's something I've done um, throughout my teenage years, particularly lists of things to be excited about, lists of things to be grateful for and that kind of thing. And I, you know, I used to do them all the time. Um, and, you know, as well, I wrote stories and I, you know, wrote fan fiction and all that kind of stuff you do when you're exploring how to share um, your words. What were you writing um, fan fiction about? Oh, um, <laughs> I think things like the Gilmore Girls and um, like Stargate SG-1 and like just anything really where I felt there was probably a romance line that I could control. Um, so yeah, a little bit of everything, equal opportunities, um, fan fiction writer. Um, but I really had this belief that writing could make you feel better. Um, mm. And that's kind of something I've I've always believed that, you know, when I wanted to escape into a book you can do that but also you can escape into your own fictions as well so um I'd always done that kind of stuff and then I really wanted to study that I'd studied um, English and creative writing at university and then eventually a few years after that I found this course that was um creative writing for therapeutic purposes mm. and so I ended up training as a, a writing therapeutic facilitator um where I helped other people use writing to feel good yeah, that's amazing. So one of the questions that I always ask towards the end of our conversations, which I'll ask now, is in what ways is writing therapeutic for you? Oh, well, well worked out nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I often don't know how I feel about things until I've written them down. I think that's, that's true of my personal life. It's true in books as well. I often write things 
to discover where the story goes I kind of find out as I as I do it so um I think it's just giving that that quiet space often now you know we're so much online we're so much sort of available to everyone all the time there's a lot of noise um so I think writing kind of provides that nice quiet space that sometimes you need to kind of recenter yourself yeah yeah and there's also I think something to having control over a world um, you know, so often, I mean, you know, most most of our lives, you know, are spent not really within our control. I mean, events mm. happen outside of us. You know, the world is a nutty place, um, <laughs> specifically the last couple of years. But when you're writing, you can really choose, make choices as to the kind of world you want to live in almost. And I think there's something I think there's something to that where you're almost projecting your your feelings, your emotions. Um, there I go using a psychological term, but um <laughs> And I don't know what this purple thing is in my hand. I'll be honest yeah. right now. I'm just playing with something because I'm fidgety. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have control. You know, when we're writing a story, we 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 can we can be the director. We can be the creator. Um, I don't I think it's I think it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I think you can you, know, you can fix things. You can go back in time and change it. You can you know, you can wonder what things would be different. Um, you know, stuff that maybe isn't 100 percent useful if you were doing it all day, every day <laughs> in your daily life. But right. giving yourself a bit of space for that, I think, is is absolutely worth it. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what was your what was your first publication? What was your first book that you uh, you uh, that, that that came out of you? Um. So I mean, the Fixer Upper is my debut. So okay, um, all right. It's I've I've written bits and bobs here and there, but that was the one that kind of yeah came out and felt like it really needed to be out there. I guess. <laughs> did you? But did you have manuscripts before the Fixer Upper that you tried to sell, or this is um. This really is the first one. Yeah, no, this is the first one. I'd sort of, I'd fiddled around with bits and bobs before. Um, and, but really I was more about teaching other people and kind of listening to their stories and that kind of thing. So it, it hadn't really, I'd always written, but this was the first time the book kind of, I think as well, be, during the pandemic as well, having that time, I th I'm sure a lot of people suddenly wrote books. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm interviewing a lot of people right now who found uh, them, themselves with a lot of extra time on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> time for reflection. Well, before we get into the fixer upper, I, I want to mm. talk a little bit about your, uh, I guess your day job as a content marketing manager. Mm. So um, how, how did that come into your life? Was that a career that you wanted to pursue, you know, to use your writing skills in a commercial way or what was your path there? Yeah, I mean, all I'd wanted to do was write. So I'd spent a lot of time trying to build a career as a copywriter and, and I worked as a writing tutor and then I ran these therapeutic classes um, and I worked in Starbucks for many years while I was doing all of that, trying to um, trying to kind of get it off the ground to an extent. Um, and then I kind of thought, you know, I, I got tired, basically. <laughs> it's quite tiring trying to work for yourself and you end up working all the time because it's hard to say no to work. Um, so I found a job as a content writer, um, and, you know, for me getting to write all day, that was perfect. I couldn't think of anything better than just to get to write articles all day. And that was all anyone wanted me to do. Um, so it was about the housing market. Um, so it was a lot of stuff about buying houses and property and things like that. Um, and then I happened to have an amazing manager who really wanted me to grow and succeed and taught me more about marketing. And so I kind of just kept growing and and learning and eventually kind of got the bug for marketing I think um and sort of it wasn't just about what you were writing it was about what people thought of it and how you met them and where you met them and what they did and and all this kind of stuff um and became a bit of a data nerd I guess 
Yeah, yeah, really, really cool though. I mean, it's in line with with what your passion is, right? I mean, so that's that's like uh, that's a big win right there. So many people, you know, go through their lives, um, you know, working in areas that they've had a compromise. You know, they've had to make some kind of a compromise, and it sounds like uh, you uh, you almost won the lottery in that regard. Oh yeah, definitely, and I I feel very very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me, what can you tell me about the fixer upper? I'm curious to know more about this uh, your debut. Um, so it was, yeah, born out of a lot of conversations I'd sort of been having with friends or I'd seen people having during the pandemic where there seemed to be a imbalance of the emotional labor that came. So, I mean, on a practical level, things like when everyone went into lockdown in the UK, women were looking after their kids and working full time somehow. <laughs> um, and it was just those sort of questions where I'd seen a lot of cartoons had come out about emotional labor and um, different friends who had sort of bumped into exes who they'd put a lot of effort into or seeing basically seeing that you could have put a lot of effort into yourself over these years and instead you've invested it in someone else and they're doing really really well and you're still stuck at home I mean we were all stuck at home it was a pandemic but I guess as well seeing more things online like that um, and where people were and what they were doing it was easier to kind of get lots of inspiration from how people are interacting. Very cool. Very cool. And what was your path to publishing this one? Um, you know, how did, how did, how did, how did that go? Um, so yeah, I had, I got my agent, um, Haley, um, who is amazing. And she kind of, I floated a few ideas. I'm always, it's taken, it takes me a while to get that real good hook. I'm not, it's not something that comes naturally to me. I'm, I'm very much more like, there's this character and she does this thing and all these things happen. And you've got to, got to be like, bam, bam, bam. There's more to it. Um, so I kind of pitched her a few ideas and I pitched this one and she immediately came back in capital letters and was like, this is the one. So um, that was kind of like, okay, yes, finally a strong idea, not just a sort of wishy-washy nice idea. Um, but the pressure of that suddenly means that it's very hard to write. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wrote it. We we went back and forth. I think we went back and forth quite a few times edit-wise. Um, and then pitched it and it got taken up um by Putnam's in the US and by Piatkus in the UK. And then we did more edits. And so I think before it went out um to publishers, I rewrote it from scratch four times. Wow. Um, I literally just chucked it away, started again four times. Um yeah. <laughs> so did you you had your agent before you had the idea for the book? Yeah, I pitched her on something else. Um, and then we didn't go that way and we started talking about this instead. So <laughs> Okay. Cause it usually doesn't happen that way, right? I mean, it, it usually usually you have the manuscript and then you're looking for the agent with your the query process but uh it seems like you you there was something there was something good enough in that initial idea you had that that where she saw your potential yeah i was really lucky she saw i mean i pitched something that was completely ridiculous it, it was like a, a, a it was completely different it was like a thriller sort of thing um but i think she said she got a sense of my writing style at least and then we sort of talked about turning that into something else and then in the end we sort of scrapped it and and sort of went with this so I was really lucky she's kind of took a chance on me with that. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a different way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's great. I mean, it, uh, it it it's fantastic. Do you remember what your pitch was for the Fixer Upper where she gave you those, those big screaming, yes, this is it, we're running with this one? Um, it was just, uh, what was it? If um, 
it was like imagine if a it was something about fixing up other you know using up other people's time um but imagining if you had to fix up the one person you'd always thought was perfect was kind of the idea that the hook being that she's been doing this whole thing where she fixes up men um and improves their you know improves their partner's lives for them um and then is faced with having to fix up this person that she'd loved when she was younger um, oh interesting now did he have pretty eyelashes oh yes oh they all they all have to have pretty eyelashes <laughs> it's it's just a thing it just seems to be that women spend a lot of money on mascara and things like that and men seem to just have have them naturally my son was born with these huge eyelashes <laughs> thought, god what a waste it's not fair <laughs> it's just not fair um well that sounds great i'm very excited for you um but i do have some questions that i ask everybody um just to get to know my authors a little bit more and you, you've already mentioned a couple but i'm curious what were some of your favorite tv shows when you were growing up oh um i mean i guess Friends was probably that sort of era. Um, my parents used to let me sneak back down after my brother had gone to bed so that I could watch it. Um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I watched loads of stuff. I mean, lots of sort of teen, like, you know, the OC and um, Dawson's Creek and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> lots of like angsty teenagers talking too much. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have one of the friends who you identified with more than the others? uh probably Chandler I just I love there was always a sarcastic comment to be yeah. to be made but um I realize now looking back when you watch it again you're like god that guy that must be really annoying to be that person so I hope I wasn't that person <laughs> yeah I love Chandler because he was so funny he was so funny um but yeah annoying too um <laughs> and I thought I thought Phoebe was even though she played kind of ditzy was probably she's like one of the smartest people like on the planet mm. apparently the the actress oh. um but um, I, you know, for me, I think it's Ross. I think it's Ross because he was dopey and I'm kind of dopey sometimes. <laughs> um, kind of just saying the wrong things, you know, the we were on a break episode. I mean, is oh, burned yeah. into my burned into my <laughs> retinas um, forever. But very cool. Yeah, friends. I, I love friends. I love friends. Great show. My kids. So I have three 20 year olds at home. We have triplets and uh, they all have binge watched friends multiple times. So it, it speaks to that generation as well. Yeah, it's funny how it's come back around again, hasn't it? I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very much so. Um, how about um, musical artists? What, um, who were you listening to when you were growing up? Oh, growing up. Um, I have to say, I remember being very annoyed that my parents didn't give me like a good grounding in music at all. So it wasn't until I met one of my best friends at um, secondary school, high school, and um she gave me a, a mixed CD and I didn't know until that point who the Beatles were until I was 60. Like I really, oh, your parents failed you very much. Like very, I mean, we had a lot of, there was a lot of like seventies music, like not, not even rock and roll. Just like, no, there was no good music. <laughs> um, so mine was just pretty much what, whatever was on the radio um, at that point. And then once I'd met my friend, we, I got very into like, yeah, rock and roll and, Elvis and kind of basically went through a revival from the fifties through to yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I had to kind of learn what I liked, but yeah, definitely love fifties rock and roll and and all that kind of stuff. And then um, this book I wrote to like a lot of the Taylor Swift albums that came out during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was re uh, reissuing a lot of her earlier stuff, wasn't she, during lockdown? 
yeah it's really interesting to see how like yeah just slight changes really sort of change the tone of a um of a, a song and I, I think she's such a great storyteller i think like oh, she's really fantastic she's fantastic i saw her have you ever seen her in concert no i was meant to and then everything and went everything went to shit <laughs> um yeah i took my daughter uh my son and daughter and one of their friends to to see taylor and um, we wound up getting floor seats like day of the show. We had terrible seats. And I said, you know what? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, our ticketing company, Ticketmaster here, they'll they'll release a bunch of seats day of the show that that go unsold. And so I picked up, you know, much better seats. And it just so happens that she walked right behind us on her way from one stage to the other. And she shook all of her hands and gave us high fives. I was like dad of the year for like <laughs> yeah. for 20 minutes. And then, then I said something <laughs> wrong. But she puts on an amazing, she's an amazing performer and songwriter. And yeah, I, yeah, am, I love her. I'm very much obsessed. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> very yeah. jealous. You're a Swifty. Um, <laughs> I believe that we all have inner children. Uh, how do you feed, if at all, your inner child? Oh, that's a great one. Um, well, I have the, so I have a six month old at the moment. So I am kind of in that child mode all the time anyway. So, but things like, we got him a bubble machine and like it is my favorite thing this bubble machine brings me so much joy um yeah you know, things like that that are for kids you know we have a we have a light projector on the ceiling that my husband bought me and it, it was for my birthday this this light projector on the ceiling to turn the turn the flat into a disco um so i think just things like that where you get to be silly and be joyful um yeah you know going to the park and jumping on the trampoline and like dancing and being silly around loud music and i think just Doing silly stuff is probably how I feed my inner child. Yeah, I mean, at some point in time, as adults, we lose, or many of us lose, the uh, that like silly gene or that silly, mm -hmm. you know. And, and it's fun to be silly sometimes. I went to a, um, I was at a uh, a thing this weekend with some um, wellness coaches, mm -hmm. and they had a disco dance party on Saturday night. Oh. And I'm like, there is no way I am dancing. <laughs> you know, with these strangers who are all self-actualized like I and sure enough, I'm dancing, you know, doing disco and it's fun yeah. and it's fun to be silly sometimes. And we we forget these things. Yeah, there's just so much joy to be had in like throwing away all the adult responsibilities for a bit. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. So speaking of adult responsibilities um, as a writer, uh, how do you feel when you're staring at a blank sheet of paper or a blank computer screen? What, is, what does the blank page do for you emotionally? Mm. Um, that's such a good question. No, I love it. Most of the time I love it. Most of the time it's, it's opportunity and it's, you know, the chance to do something and freshness and newness. And I, for me, it's definitely a timing thing. Like if I've come to it too soon, I know. Like I can walk away and go, I'm not ready to tell this story yet. It's not, it's brewing and I'm in the ideas phase, but I'm not ready to put it down yet. Um, and I know if I've started too soon and it just doesn't work and I chuck it away and I wait. So sometimes it's like catching a wave, like when you're surfing and you kind of got to wait for that wave to crest and then you're there. So I guess, yeah, it's, it's the opportunity. It's that moment. I'm just waiting. I can sit, I can sit with a blank page for a while and I can know that the, the wave will come, but I've just got to wait. And I think I just got the name of this episode, Catching a Wave, <laughs> Catching a Wave with Lauren Forsythe. Um, yeah, that's it's the opportunity. Do you do you write from an outline or or no? Is it more of a mental outline? Um, I try and do a rough outline and then I still leave enough space to kind of figure it out because often yeah. it goes in place. I wasn't expecting and I'd rather that than 
I'd rather be surprised myself by things and discover them rather than feeling like I'm moving chess pieces around because otherwise I did it a bit with this current draft that I'm working on because I had a deadline and I really had to work to a um to a sort of uh, clear plan and about 30,000 words in I kind of went ah no I should have done this why have they done that they weren't meant to do that um so I went back and changed it all and then I got to the end and I was kind of going well these guys have done this thing and I don't know like they've done it because the story requires it but they haven't done it because it's who they are as people <laughs> so now I have to go back and figure out who they are so yeah, I do a little bit of drafting, but I really feel like you need breathing space. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And you want to have as much fun as your readers are going to have when they're when they're reading it. Right. So you got to give yourself a little no handcuffs here. Just just breathing space. Yeah. Um, you know, with your with your first book, The Fixer Upper, um, were there any lessons about publishing that you felt you learned the hard way or that surprised you? Mm. Um, I think the. The, the American style of publishing and the UK style of publishing are quite different, which I hadn't realized. Um, so our, my American publishers, I mean, both of them have been brilliant, but like my American publishers for immediately it, months ahead, the, the cover was read, like everything was done so far in advance. And so, whereas I think definitely as a British style of things, we do things a little bit more <laughs> ad hoc um, and sort of reactively. Um, so that was interesting to see. And I think even just hearing, you know, like uh, things like NetGalley and learning about those kind of things where, especially the American market, there's such a huge um, sort of book blogger community. And there's so many people who are so passionate about books and make it their their whole thing. Um, and which is lovely to be sort of accepted into that community and and sort of have people share things and get in touch with you and stuff. I kind of you know, you sneak onto the edge as a debut, kind of being like, no one knows who I am. I'm just going to sit here. And suddenly, you know, it's publication day to day and it's probably the most popular I've felt in my entire life. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, well, kind of channeling that that feeling you have right now, um, if you could go back in time and whisper some words of advice um, into that younger list maker that you were, <laughs> um, what would you tell the younger Lauren Forsyth? What, what would you, uh, what would you, how would you encourage her? Oh, I think just stop caring what other people think. There's so much time wasted with doubt and fear and who are you and what does it say about you and what kind of book do you have to, you know, oh, you're going to write a rom-com, really? Is that, you know, are you not going to write the big literary opus of, you know, I just think if I'd, if I'd let go of all, especially having studied writing at university where there is a little bit of sort of pomp and ego and you know very much literary style um if I'd let all that go and just been like this is what I love to read why wouldn't I write what I love to read I may have done this 10 years ago <laughs> so but I'm, I'm hoping that the fact I've done it now means I had to get on the journey to get here <laughs> yeah very good well we've been talking with Lauren Forsyth about the fixer-upper and her career as a whole Lauren if uh people want to get in touch with you do you have a website or social media that you could uh you could uh, share with us yeah, sure. Um, so I'm on, I haven't got a website yet, but I am on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Lauren Forsyth author. Um, yeah. And I, I love to chat to people. So please come chat to me. There we go. And uh, for all you listeners out there, I will put those in the show notes so you can uh, easily find Lauren. Lauren, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for joining me on Uncorking a Story. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, 
go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.